Welcome to another Rising Stars podcast. Tom and I are here with my friend and colleague, Scott Hake, who's uh, at Vanderbilt. Scott, welcome. welcome Scott. I'm going to have you, so- you uh, introduce yourself, and then I want you to, to, you've done a lot of CTDNA work and other work, but, but CTDNA, which is uh, of interest in many cancers, including kidney cancers. So maybe just, I don't know, talk a little bit about what you've done, some of the methodologic issues, and then Tom and I will jump in with questions. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for the, for the invitation. Um, it, I, uh, I, I feel like I'm on like a sports radio talk show, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> well, thanks for coming. <laughs> thanks for coming. What a terrific um, introduction. But, but yeah, so uh, Scott Hake, I'm a medical oncologist uh, focused on, on kidney cancer here at, here at Vanderbilt. Um, and so um, I've had a long laboratory interest in uh, kidney cancer, started off in Kim Rathmo's lab during my internship and in, in residency, um, always had an, an interest in, in biomarker development. Um, and uh, when I uh, came to Vanderbilt, um, I set up a relationship with Ben Hope Park, who's our, our now our, our cancer center director and has uh, done a lot of the CTD DNA work in breast cancer. And I said, hey, this is pretty cool. We should... Uh, uh, look at this in kidney cancer. We don't have a lot of good biomarkers in in, in kidney cancer, and so my main goal in 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 this project was to develop some way to track disease burden uh, in metastatic kidney cancer patients receiving immunotherapy during their time course. Um, there's a lot of questions you you can ask with CTD DNA, but I I, I narrowed it down to that. And so if you want to use CTDNA to monitor disease burden throughout the body, throughout these multiple uh, tumors throughout the body, you need a molecular alteration in that CTDNA, which is shared amongst all the clones. And this is a challenge in kidney cancer because, you know, famously from the Gerlinger paper uh, in New England Journal of Medicine several years ago and, and others since, it, it's well known that there's a lot of intratumoral heterogeneity within this disease. And so if your goal is to monitor all disease across all these clones over time, you've got to target some molecular event which is shared by all these clones. And that may not lend itself to the most traditional CTDNA assay, which is really focused on looking at semantic mutations. Um, Scott, Scott, talk me about which pro- which uh, which methodology are you using a personalized approach or using a panel based approach. Which uh, which approach are you using? And we had a we had a really interesting prostate discussion. I'm going to self advertise one of our podcasts, Brian. <laughs> um, we had a really interesting prostate discussion, a paper in Nature, where they did super deep sequencing. We're actually on uh, um, on circulating. CTDNA and and the sequencing so deep they felt that you didn't need to go down a personalized approach, but you can't do that on every patient. So what which approach are you using? I guess there are three broad approaches in that respect. Yeah, well, we have tried several approaches. We have tried to keep an open mind in terms of the assays and and, and really leverage whichever technology we think is going to be best suited to our needs. Um, one of the early approaches that that we tried was using um, whole genome sequencing. And, and, and we tried both low pass, where you sort of do a shallow run across the whole genome, as yeah. well as uh, um, a, a much deeper whole genome uh, approach. And the nice thing about these approaches is that they enable you to really assess copy number throughout the, the genome. And knowing that 3P deletion is sort of the founding molecular events, 
uh, in clear cell renocell carcinoma tumor genesis, we opted not to, to look at somatic mutations, but to rather focus on aneuploidy, uh, looking for that 3P deletion, um, because knowing that that, that, that that is an early event and, and would be shared by, by all clones. And Scott, um, why not just look at VHL? I mean, I know that's what you're saying. Is it just that it's no, that's, less and, heterogeneity? And that's a really low-hanging fruit. Um, and it's perhaps intuitive to go after VHL. And, and believe me, we certainly wanted to do that. The, the challenge with VHL is that it's just a really hard gene to sequence with sort of modern next-generation sequencing technologies. The exact explanation for that is a little unknown. Uh, it, it may be a high CG content in certain parts of the gene. But if you look at the TCGA project, you know, they were only able to detect VHL mutations in a little over half of those tumors, even though we know that clear cell renocell carcinoma has VHL mutations. And there have been other large ctDNA work within kidney cancer within clear cell renocell carcinoma that was not able to sensitively detect VHL mutations. And so, you know, this was done by really smart and talented people. So we didn't think we were going to be able to reinvent the wheel and find new ways to do that. So we sort of pivoted in, in other directions. Okay. Got a, bit, a bit of a test question coming up. Um, <laughs> so um, Monty Powell's group look, did garden and 360 on a series of samples um, and found ctDNA was expressed in quite a few patients, high proportion patients. And then I thought what was really interesting is that um, Eric Yonash of the MD Anderson, they looked at patients starting sunitinib with advanced disease using Natera and something like 60% of patients there were ctDNA positive. So do you, how, do you, how do you feel about these other methodologies that are, I guess, easier to do and more, yeah. wide, and more widely being used? Are they not just going to come in and sweep away what you're doing if they are, you know, not relatively sensitive? Mean, I don't know about relatively sensitive. Clearly, they're not. I, I think the panel-based approaches are not specific enough, and I think there's a lot of noise, in my personal opinion, in those approaches. But this Natera personalized approach where 60% of patients with advanced disease, how does that compare to what you're doing? Yeah, so really good question. So first on that Monty Powell Garden paper, that was what sort of in initially steered us away from this project, away from somatic mutational profiling, because in that paper, if I'm not mistaken, they only detected VHL mutations in roughly a third of, of patients. And again, if you assume that all these different clones are, are, are going to have hetero heterogeneity in terms of their somatic mu mutations, the only one you can really use to monitor all clones at once would be VHL. And so we're like, look, Gardens really good at what they do. We're probably not going to be able to, to do NGS profiling better than Gardens. So we should probably try to think of a different approach. Now, I'll cut to the chase. It, it, you know, it turns out even using, you know, these whole genome sequencing approaches to look at aneuploidy, kidney cancer is challenging uh, in, in that it, it does not secrete as much ctDNA as, as other tumor types. And so even using really deep whole genome sequencing we have had issues with low sensitivity. And, and so, you know, and, and again, I was stressing these are NGS-based approaches. The Natera assay is not technically an NGS-based approach. And I do think there's a lot of promise there. And we are working very closely with Natera to try their assay on our samples. The, the reason that it's different is that it's, a, informed by the uh, mutations within that tumor, right? So it's personalized for that tumor. And then instead of, of, of using broad whole exome 
um, sequencing approaches to chase down that mutation, they use PCR that's tailored for that individual mutant uh, within that patient's tumor, which is much more sensitive and, and, and more powerful than uh, than looking at, for instance, whole exome sequencing. And so, so, um, so Scott, I, you've, so, success, you've successfully sold to me everyone else's approach. What's going to go on with your approach then? How are you going to, how are you going to nail this? Yeah, so we have, um, so the, the, the main goal of, of, of our uh, approach was to identify an assay which could target a truncal um, molecular event in ctDNA uh, that uh, we can use to, to monitor in, in whole patient disease burden. And so, um, and, and, and I am not betting on horses in, in, in terms of what I think uh, that, that my horse is going to be the, the best horse, and I'm only looking at that. I'm keeping a very open mind and pursuing multiple technologies to, to chase that goal. And so, honestly, I think the, the, the whole genome sequencing approach, while it made sense um, at the, the, the time, has not proven as sensitive. So we are pivoting towards other assays which can de which can detect these truncal mutational events so uh so so i'm buying into the natera signatera assay as something that i want to pursue in my patients because some of those mutations may very well be things like mutants and 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 vhl that that we can monitor over time so i'm not so proud as to say only the the techniques that we try in our lab are things we can do i'm I'm very open to the. There's no such thing as just experience, just experience. Talk about talk about the um, study you're doing through the DoD funded RCC consortium. Um, it's a sort of a big multi center effort. Talk about that a little bit and what what the intent is. Uh, you mean our DoD funded CTD DNA study yeah. or yeah 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 so 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 that's what this is so we have you know that's where we got the samples for this assay right um, it, it it was a, a DoD funded study to uh, look at um, CTDNA over multiple time points uh, in metastatic clear cell renal cell carcinoma patients treated with immunotherapy um, and so we've collaborated with our colleagues at MD Anderson as well as Michigan and and Penn. Uh, and um, other sites to collect specimens. We've, we've collected nearly 150 uh, patient specimens. And so now we're really in the analytical phase. And, and so we've, we've tried this whole genome sequencing approach. It, it has limitations. We're working with Natera to, to try their approach. I'm also very enthusiastic about another truncal uh, molecular event that's, in, that, that's inherent uh, to renal cell carcinoma and that's not a somatic mutation but that's an epigenetic change focusing really on cell-free methylated dna and so this is yet another approach that 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 that, that we're pursuing with collaborators in matt friedman's lab and jacob um at uh, the dana farber cancer institute as well scott there was a beautiful piece of work out of the data farber with this methylation signature in renal cancer and there's a lot of work from a global perspective on different tumor types of methylation why is the methylation pro approach attractive to you? And what are the next steps in terms of getting meth methylation into the mainstream? So the thing that really appeals to me about the methylation assay is, again, our focus is uh, identifying molecular changes in tumor DNA that we can use to distinguish the tumor DNA that's in the blood from 
normal germline DNA. And so one such change is somatic mutations, but they're sometimes hard to find. And, 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 you know, and, and you might be looking at one tumor DNA molecule in a sea of a thousand, and it's just hard to de detect that. The nice thing about the, the methylated DNA workflows is that there's an enrichment step where uh, you can uh, immunoprecipitate all the methylated DNA that's found in that plasma. That may give you an opportunity to concentrate the signal that you're looking at. And this may well be particularly appealing in a tumor like clear cell renal cell carcinoma that has a relatively low amount of CTDNA in, in the circulation relative to other tumor types. And so that's why we're really in, enthusiastic about this collaboration with Jacob Burchuk and Matt Friedman and, and others at DFCI. Hey, Scott, um, let's maybe pivot a little bit and talk about optic, which is our uh, prospective biomarker-based study based on the 151 clusters. You've been integrally involved in getting that up and running. Maybe there's a lot, big topic, but maybe let's talk about some of the informatics. I mean, it was certainly a learn for me, understanding the informatics of assigning individual patients to clusters and not having 800 tumors that you're assigning all at once. Um, can you talk a little bit about the challenges that we faced in doing that and how we've overcome it? Yeah. So again, I'm, I'm really excited about biomarker work. I think this is an exciting way to advance the science. You sound it, Scott. You sound excited. The field. About it. <laughs> you really uh, do. And so I, I've, I've been tinkering with gene expression studies in clear cell renal cell carcinoma going all, all, all the way back to my internship uh, when, uh, in internal medicine when I joined Kim Rathmo's lab. And so she had published the CCACCB sig signature. And then uh, the Emotion 151 data got, got published. And Brian had, had recently come to, to Vanderbilt. I'm like, hey, Brian, this is really cool. We should, um, you know, it's, this seems to have some predictive capacity. Can, can you know can we use this in, 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 in a prospective setting? And, and so one of the unique challenges to this is all the gene expression work that I've done before, it's always on a big cohort where you have hundreds of patients and you normalize across all those patients. And then you, you, you put patients in, in, into buckets depending on whether their gene expression profiles are more or less similar. But what the unique challenge that you have when, when you pivot from being retrospective to prospective is that now you have one patient and you have to assign this one patient to a bucket and you don't have hundreds of other patients to compare it to, to say, well, it's gene expression for this particular gene is high or low relative to, the, to these other ones. But, but no, you have to sort of make that call in, in isolation. And, and, and so it's, um, it's, We've had to work with our data science colleagues, including Anupama Reddy and, and, and others, to uh, uh, figure out ways to, to, to make those comparisons in real time, prospectively on an individual patient basis without the benefit of hundreds of patients to normalize it to. And so it's been a, a unique informatics challenge. Scott, there is a couple of things. So the first is, how long does it ta take to turn these samples around? No one else is really <laughs> using RNA signatures. Uh, there was the bionic study, which did. But many people say to me, in reality, we're never going to be able to put this into the mainstream. So is this a feasible? It's an academic exercise. But is it a feasible approach? Yeah. So uh, uh, uh a couple comments. One is that, you know, the Emotion 151 signatures may not be the end-all, be-all 
holy grail that it will likely be redesigned iteratively the real value i think in this trial is exactly what you've commented on no one's really done this before can we work out the the logistics and ironically the logistics are not that that are most challenging it's not the sequencing right uh you know we have people uh collaborators who sequence hundreds of tumors every day this is just another cog in in that wheel they can do that right we can extract DNA from tissue. We have the informatics down where we can turn it around in probably six hours. So it, the rate limiting step is not the sequencing and, and the informatics and, and the analysis. The rate limiting step is just good old fashioned uh, medical oncology translational work. Can we get the blocks? Can we get the blocks shipped to the right place? Can, can we, is, is there enough tissue there to do the analysis? And so those are, are those are sort of the, the more mundane but but real challenges in in the study. Do we think we can do it? Not for all patients, you know. If their biopsy is was done in the UK and we are treating them in Nashville, Tennessee, you know, we're probably not going to get the block here in time to to get them on trial within three weeks. Um, but if if we can get our hands on the tissue, if if the biopsy is in house or 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 close by. Then, and they and the patient doesn't need to be treated tomorrow, but can wait three weeks. Then we think we can do it. Yeah. So Tom, we're we're we just started screening patients last week or so, and so we're we're working through some of the tissue flow. And and as Scott said, I think that's going to be the biggest challenge. Is you know, especially when they're at an outside hospital. If they're in house, sure. it's much easier. But if they're outside, it, it you know puts up some hurdles. But we'll see. I mean, we, we Go, hope so. before we wrap things up, can I just ask another question about the methylation? So yeah. we're, we're at a bit of a pivot then in kidney cancer because you're saying that you looked into this in a lot of detail and you said that you, you know, that the Natera approach has merits, other approaches, even if you go really deep, it's quite hard. Um, CTDNA, you're, you're scoring, a, sounds like a four out of 10 um, in, in your excitement at the moment. Now, don't get me wrong, we've got a lot more to do. But then the methylation approach and that paper out of Dana Farber, looked like it was reliable and robust and able to identify patients relatively reliably. And it appears to, and it's obviously easier and cheaper. Do you think we should be switching to methylation rather than CTDNA? Uh, well, I, I, I view them as one in sort of one in, in the same. We have CTDNA. How are we going to profile that CTDNA? Are, are, are we looking at mutational events or are we looking at methylation patterns? It's the same analyte. It's just two different assays, and it just sure. and it depends which assay you think is best. But, for do, your do, but should purpose. we pursue? Should we be pursuing the methylation component? Yeah, of this? I, I, you know, I, I. The answer is yes. Do I think we should give up on all other approaches? No. Personally, what I'm doing is I am enthusiastically pursuing both the uh, somatic mutation assays, where you match it to the personal tumor, and then you develop these these highly sensitive PCR assays to find that, that, that rare mutational event. I think that's powerful. I think the self-remethylated DNA assays are powerful. I'm, I'm pursuing both with, with our cohort um, because I think they're both promising. Can you monitor treatment effects with methylation signatures? Yeah, that's a great question. And so it tends to be more of a digital signal as in yeah. yes, no, on, off. And so the question is, can we tailor these assays in, into a more um 
uh, analog sig- signal where, where there's a gradient where you can have high versus low. I think there are some creative ways to do that, and, and, and so do our, our collaborators at Dana-Farber. So in short, I think the answer is yes, it can be um, – the, 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 the analytics can be tailored to, to look at tumor burden, not just a digital yes-no signal. Scott, just to wrap up maybe with one career question is, you know, you obviously came to, you said you started in Kim's lab and then came to Vanderbilt, I think around the same time she did. So maybe talk about, you know, looking back, giving yourself advice from five years ago, what were the key things that got you to where you are now? Things that, you know, catapulted your career and maybe some things you wish you had done differently. Yeah, um, I think the the most important you know, so we, we, we commonly have junior faculty come through interviewing for jobs and, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to talk to them and give them sage advice. Um, <laughs> they probably don't and... come to Brian very much anymore. <laughs> they did. They did at so, one point. So I try. So what I tell them is to have a clear vision of what you want your career to be and then find mentors and find leadership at a uh, cancer center that share that belief. You know, I, I interviewed at a, at a lot of cancer centers coming out of fellowship and not all of them wanted me to become a physician scientist. A, a lot of them wanted me to do clinic three days a week. And, and that's a great career. And I can help a lot of patients that way, but it wasn't what I, I wanted. And I, and I would have been foolhardy to go to a place that didn't, that where me and the leadership didn't share that vision. So, um, that the hard part is, is for an individual person to clearly define what they want to be. But once you've done that hard part, the next part is just finding mentors and, and leadership who share that belief and, and will help you down that way. But don't go to an, in, where an, an institution where you're fighting an uphill battle to, um, uh, to convince them to let you be what, what, what you want to be, because I, I think you'll end up losing that battle. Tom, anything else? I know uh, Scott I think this has been um, super cool I guess the only other question I'd ask is what's next for you what's your next big step what would you like to uh, what would you like to do next assuming that these science projects turn out the way you want and uh, and, and Brian doesn't wreck your career with this randomized trial <laughs> <laughs> so, Not randomized, um, yeah. y- you know the, the next big step in this liquid biopsy field is to really tie it to a uh, a clinical decision. And, and so I think right now, at, at least in, in for the liquid biopsy as, as, aspect of it, it it's going to be, can, you know, can we get a reliable assay? And then if we do, can we put it in a position to help clinicians and patients make important decisions? And so it's a little bit iterative, but I, I think that's the fun part. That's really where sort of the, the, the rubber hits the road and, and, and you can make an impact. So I, I would love to, to, to be able to do that uh, at some point before I retire. And, and honestly, optic is a first step towards that. That's a very obvious narrative where a biopsy is impacting clinical decisions. Scott, someone's just started a game of tennis in the background where I'm standing. So we, <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. We're going we're gonna to have to move on. I'm trying to find somewhere quiet, but I think this is a good time to call it. Scott, I think this has been terrific. Uh, you, it sounds like things are going super well. Congratulations. All right. Well, thank you so much for... Uh, giving me the chance to talk to you guys. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Bye bye.